You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. No fooling. We're back for (laughs) April Fool's Day. Episode 93, Friday, April 1st, 2022. How you doing, Christina Dennis? I am doing very well, Damon Frank. How are you doing? It's a happy Friday, plus we have the twist of April Fool's Day. Do we still yes, celebrate that? Yes, happy April Fool's. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I think you do. I don't know if you pinch people. I, I'm pretty sure you don't wear green. That was St. Patrick's nope. Day. Yeah. Nope. Everybody has to pay attention because there'll be people out there trying to fool you today. Yes, you know what? Uh, you know, some sometimes I feel like I'm being fooled every day. To be honest, I was going to say every day. Sometimes lately seems like St. Patrick's Day. Well, I'd like <laughs> to welcome everybody to episode 93, Friday, April first, 2022. Uh, Damon Frank with my co-host uh, Christina Dennis here. We are we've got a great show for you in store uh, in store for you, and uh, it's going to be a good one today. We're going to talk about something pretty kind of controversial. It's been sure a crazy is. week, so we've got our TGIF uh, sober segment coming up uh, on the on the second part of the show. Uh, how are you doing today, though, Christina? How, how's it going in Orange County? It is beautiful. I can feel that the sun's going to come out today. We've had several days of rain, so I'm looking forward to that. And Friday just has a different feel. Even though I'm just as busy on the weekends, there's something about the ethos, you know, where everybody gets a little, little more free. And I'm being a super sensitive person. I feel it. So I really always enjoy this day. Well, I already woke up with character defects today. I already texted you 15 <laughs> times. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. I was only really like three minutes late. Uh, <laughs> it was one of those where I kind of overslept. You know, I've been I've been working, you know, one of the things that I've been working on that I shared in the Recovered Life discussion is one of the things I've been committing to is waking up early and just really getting this stuff going earlier in my life, right? Right. And every time that I don't hit that goal, if I'm not perfect about that goal, I just totally beat myself up, which is Uh-oh. ridiculous. It it's is totally ridiculous, right? It because, is. But- you know, no one's perfect all the time. Well, perfection doesn't even exist, right? And before we get started on our first segment, I want to let everybody know that this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Make sure to like, share, follow, and leave us a content, a comment so we can keep bringing you content. Also, visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can make a donation and you can join the network, which is completely free. No fool in there. Once again, that's info.recoveredlife.us. Yeah, thank you so much. I love Recovered Life. Uh, I was on it the other day. We were talking about the Will Smith show, mm-hmm. uh, the Will Smith slap, right? Which was, uh, <laughs> which was great. Which was which was really great, and I had my uh, my my men's group uh, gathering yesterday. And we were talking about impulse control, so we'll dive into that a little bit later in the uh, in the in the next segment. But I had to bring this up. Uh, I read this Vox article, Christina. Yeah, and look, this I already know that this is going to get that this. I'm going to get calls about this because I already know the ones that I do that I get calls about. I got calls about the Will Smith show. I got calls about the character defect show that we did, right? If you haven't seen any of those, go back into the into the in, into the archives there and check them out. But this one is interesting. This is about a Vox article, and we're calling this episode "Soberish: The Micro Dosing Trend." So we're going to talk real quick about this article that we found on Vox, uh, and just so everybody uh, you know knows, we're going to put a link uh, to the uh, Vox article in the show notes. But it's really about using magic mushrooms, LSD, cannabis, and to, to, you know, 
to, to really cure, I would say, kind of mental health issues. And also, to, people seem to be using it to try to get sober. It's totally true. And, you know, the article kind of brings out the therapeutic value, but also the dosing is incredibly small. And I am very curious to see how you fall on this. They did interview one recovering addict who said that it was really, really helpful because it creates a buffer. Now, that kind of language makes me think, well, that's not very sober. However, in this article, it talks about how that allowed that person to feel like they could protect their sobriety in events where people were drinking. Now, I have heard of it in lieu of antidepressants or in addition to antidepressants, because let's face it, many of us don't have the nervous system that allows us to live in this world untethered. Um, and that's why we drink or used. And so I am very curious to see how you fall on this subject. For me, Damon Frank, I think it's okay for some people, as long as it's medically supervised and they have tried many, many other options. I can't fault anybody who doesn't want to put a pharmaceutical in their body and feels like they can do it, but it has to be well, regimented. Well, here's the deal, Christina. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you one th up front, up front, I'm going to say, we're not condoning this. We're not doctors. <laughs> we're not. If, if you're if you're out there and you're 20 years sober, we're not saying, hey, you know what? Christina and Damon think microdosing's for you. Like we're not doing any of that. Right. Like so just to just to be upfront with this, because I think this is. I, I look, I think we're the Siskel and Ebert about some of these, <laughs> the, these, these topics, which is good. Like I, I, I do see my position on drugs in recovery, medical pharmaceutical drugs has changed a lot mm -hmm. over the years. Um, I was, you know, I'm going to be right up front with it. I, I was, I, I always find the topic a bit dubious. Sure. Uh, because not, not because I don't think it works for some people. I think it does. And I've, and I know somebody specifically who has done this uh, that had a lot of trauma, right? They, wow. they yeah. had a lot, a tremendous amount of trauma. And they were sober but miserable for years, and they'd done everything they could. Correct. And under a doctor's supervision, they did this, and it did seem to have a huge positive effect on their life. So I do know somebody that this is that this has happened to, right? Um, it's more of a group of people that well, did this, and there's been a backlash for them in the recovery community oh, no. because people call them not sober. Right. You know, it, we don't know enough about therapeutic dosing, unfortunately, I think, to judge that. And I'm glad that you put in the, the warning that we're not condoning it. But what I do know is that in the 1970s, they took it out of the medical community and scheduled it a class one so that it was a felony to even do the testing. So I think it's a good idea. And I think that we're going places that we haven't had access to. And we all know that the war on drugs didn't work. You know, it started with Nixon and every president tried to do something about it. Now, with the legalization of cannabis, now, you know, psilocybin, people are starting to include that in their mind and being open about it. And and ketamine treatments for soldiers from who suffer from PTSD have helped helped people not to even have suicidal ideation because sometimes we don't know what's going on in somebody's brain. And I don't think people, you know, I think if it was a choice of whether you're going to live a pretty well blessed life or not, 
I think that that you should talk it over with your doctor. Absolutely. Well, the Vox article, just to be fair, the Vox article isn't really talking about specifically people in recovery, right? Like they're, right. they're, they're talking about, but it does address it a little bit. Now, here, here's where I start to get, because if you've, if you've lived a life in recovery for a period of time, you, everybody has, has seen this trend. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say this okay. because I, I, I've, I witnessed this, right? The marijuana trend. The marijuana is going to cure everything trend, which right. we all saw in the recovery movement, right? Right. So, uh, you know, people that were sober that weren't really doing the deal, they weren't Correct. really doing the work, right? They, but they were sober. Technically, they were sober uh, as a church mouse, right? They're they're not doing anything uh, as far as drugs. They decide, well, you know what? I have anxiety, so I'm going to treat it with marijuana. Now right. they're coming to the, you know, they're coming to their 12 step meeting stoned. Oh, they're, no. they're stoned all the time. Right. Look, we, we've, we both seen this. And, and then when they're confronted with it, when it's obviously a problem, they're coming back and they're saying, well, you know what? Uh, it was prescribed by a doctor. Right. So it can't be, you know, like how many times do I need to see people who, uh, you know, had a back injury that have 10 to 15 years. And the next thing that they know, they're out on prescription drugs. And it was right. all given to them by a doctor. You bring up an excellent point, Damon. It is true. There are definitely fronts or or abuse happening under a medical card. We see it depicted in movies. It's funny. And if you are an addict, it is dangerous. And so I completely agree with that. I think that people need to do it you know, at the same time that they are seeking therapy. From what I have read about and watched, a lot of times with the ketamine, it's actually done in in the office with the doctor. So it's definitely something that yeah. you really need to think through and figure out. Well, I think, you know, we're either saying that the phenomenon of craving exists mm -hmm. or the phenomenon of craving doesn't exist. Does the phenomenon of craving not exist when when it's prescribed by a doctor? No, I, no. I don't. I don't think that's the case. But I do think now. Let me tell. You, let, let me take your your position a little bit here. Okay. And this is where I've changed a little bit because the more I dove into twelve step history mm -hmm. of it, the more you find out that that very prominent people, right, in the twelve step community, were doing versions of this exactly trying to, trying to cure for alcoholism and drug addiction in the sixties. Right yes. in the fifties, yes. in the seventies, so so this is nothing really new, really honestly right. with addiction recovery because people have been doing this for a period of time. So I think in a way, it's kind of a two sided coin. I think we're very hi hypocritical to say don't try it, but then at the same time, it's like do, you have to be so careful. Yes, when making this decision, you really do. You really do. I mean. Once you have that change in your physicality, I think that the key is to have the dose be very micro. And I I think that that's what happens, you know, uh, if you are being supervised and very careful about it. It's a dose that you take in the morning and that's all you do. And you don't continue to go back to it and back to it, back to it. You know, Kratom is very, very similar. I have seen people in, in the vein of harm reduction go from opiate use to Kratom. And if it was thought out and it was true and you were working truly on your recovery, then eventually they could either have a safe use of Kratom for pain or they would get off of it. 
But you know, so kratom is a is a plant from Southeast Asia that attaches itself to your opiate receptors. And so for people that are sticking needles in their arm with heroin, you know, as a way to get off oxycotton, maybe kratom is the harm reduction, you know, the safer yeah, place. Yeah. And like well, everything- we've done this, you know, we've done shows about I've I've interviewed people and we'll have more interviews on this because you know, one of the things we're doing with the show is we're starting to bring on a lot of experts, right? It's not right. just us. It's like, we're talking with a lot of experts, you and I both in our coaching. And the thing is, is that, you know, we, there's so much we don't know. And I think, you know, um, I, I think in a way we have to be open, maybe if we're not even open for ourselves. like for me, this is just something that I don't think I would do. Right. Like, but I'm also not in that situation, right? Like, so this is the thing. I'm not in that situation where I have this complex trauma scenario where it's ruining my life. I can't get out of bed. Right. Like, and so there, there are people that are going through that in recovery and, you know, we're talking with them and I do see the whole thing with trauma, uh, you know, evolve. Like, yes, look, Christina, we, we've talked about this before. If, if, if in the nineties in even in the mid nineties or late nineties, if we were to say, let's talk about trauma and recovery, people would laugh at you. I mean, yes, they if would. we said, let's talk about sugar in recovery. Oh, people, people would, would laugh, really laugh. That's right. We have evolved as a species and it's great to see that also, you know, come into the, the sober communities to have these conversations. I remember last year when the Demi Lovato, um, documentary came out. There were many, many discussions about California sober, and there were a lot of people throwing in their two cents. And I feel like, you know, as long as we approach it with compassion and empathy and not, not sign off on it, let it be that person's decision with a medical professional, then we shouldn't, you know, we can figure out what's the safest way with somebody. My, my fear is that if they don't share that, they might, you know, commit suicide. If they're at that place, I want them to take care of themselves. And I think the more we discuss it outside of the rooms, the more we open it up, I think the better. Well, I think the, I think, you know, to, to be honest, you know, we did shows about the California sober thing. And one of the things that was damaging is what one was the whole thing about California. Look, there are people that are not California sober in California, <laughs> right? So it, it, it's like, looked like everybody who was sober in California was uh, drinking on the side. <laughs> just some sort of label. I, you know, here's the thing with California sober. See, I, I have an opposite opinion on California sober. I thought California sober was incredibly damaging. And Ooh. I think it was, I think it was misleading. And mm -hmm. I think what they did is they used celebrity. And, and I think now if we were to go back, she'd probably have, she, I think, believe she has a different opinion on it. Yes, she, she does. That she didn't, I, I don't want to quote her, but I believe the, you know, what I read is that she does not think that that was a good idea now. No. And I'll tell you why I think that that was so dangerous is because she's making some sort of medical thing. It's like, no, I can do this. And people in recovery can do this when clearly the data is that if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you cannot use socially. Yes. Like how many people do you know who were drug addicts that can use drugs socially? I, I know, I know one person. Really? I, I do know one person. Yeah, I do. Know wow. I actually I, in the medical field, but um, oh. I even find that, I, but I even find that honestly, and I, and I know the person fairly well. I, I even find that dubious. 
True. Because I don't totally believe it. Right. Right. And I think that you going back to your phenomena of craving, I wouldn't want to live with the phenomena of craving. And, you know, I, I really wouldn't. I remember those days where I could never and knew from the beginning there was no way I could drink socially. It wasn't, oh, she was a party girl and went wild. So I know a lot of people who did a bunch of partying and drink alcoholically in their college days, but I don't believe they were truly alcoholics, not to the level that I was the very first time I drank. And so I can't imagine that with drug use, that it can be helpful. Um, you know, we put people to sleep when there's a lot of pain. They induce comas whenever the body needs a lack of stress. So I think there's a place for it. And now yeah. that and the decriminalization of it, I think, is actually a good thing personally. Well, but I, I will tell you, I will tell you this, Christina, and I'm going to go. I'm going to just I'm just going to land on the do line it. here. Um, I have found through being in recovery and helping people in recovery that not everybody that enters recovery is an alcoholic or drug addict. Wow. Okay. Okay. I, I find this is what I've found lately. And I think that this leads into this too, because I think this is an important fact. There are a lot of people who are addicted to substances, like they're addicted to alcohol, mm -hmm. but they're not an alcoholic. They're physically addicted. But after to you it. get them sober. Yeah. They're physically addicted, but after you get them sober and you sort things out, they maybe had, maybe they were bipolar. I'm just giving an example, but they were using alcohol to treat it. But then after that, it's not really, it's really, they're dealing with a mental health issue. They're not dealing and, and alcoholism is a mental health issue. I'm going to, I'm going to put that out, but it's not, it's, it's different than bipolar disorder or they have some sort of personality disorder or something, right? Something's right. going on, or they had a trauma or they had something else and they haven't necessarily crossed the line yet. And what happens is a lot of people, Will, will come into recovery and they'll quote, be sober and they right. are, and they're doing the deal. Right. And they see a benefit, but they're not really alcoholics. And then they go do things like this. And it doesn't have the same impact. Whereas you take somebody who's an alcoholic and drug addict and you put them in the situation and they do the exact same thing. They do the California sober thing. Right. And they get wiped out. Yes. In 30 days, 15 days. We've, we've, we've seen this, right. And they're sure baffled. Have. Because one of the things that we know about addiction is it's cunning, baffling, powerful, and patient. And, yes. you know, it waits for things like this to pop into the frame to be able to take you out. It's so true. I, I do remember in my early days meeting, watching somebody who had 10 years of sobriety and had fallen off the wagon. And she wasn't saying she was an alcoholic or not, but somebody asked her to describe it. And in detail, she described how she felt, where she was, what it felt like. And now I'm looking, you know, at that point I was confused and I just thought, wow, that seems dangerous, you know, but I didn't really know her. So I couldn't say if it was affecting her life. Now I look back and I think her obsession with the way it felt and where she was <laughs> is probably an indication that alcohol was not her friend. Um, but she was out there and she was actually attending an AA meeting, but was a drinker. So I don't really, I guess I don't know if I'm not walking in somebody's shoes exactly what they're thinking, but I think you're correct. 
about the fact that it is dangerous to experiment. It is dangerous to go out there and experiment. And at the same time, and at the same time, Christina, I think that it's useful for certain people, right? Like I want to always be, you know, like I've changed a lot. Like I was very cut. And this is where I think that a lot of 12 step groups have gone off the rails, right? Okay. Is that they've, is that they've, they've, uh, they've taken this position as if they're doctors or if they know everything. Right. Wow. And they've left no room, no air in the room for any kind of thought about how to move, how to do things differently. Right. Like, so true. and we found this with the whole character defects thing. It's interesting because when we did that episode with Stacey Danford, I, I got some flack about that. Like I got people that really? said, you know what? Oh, oh my God. Yeah. We were even talking about it last night. Like, Hey, you know what? This is not debatable. It, it, it is this or it's not that, like it is this or not this. And I go, well, no, because the language that was used at the time that it was written, they only had so much information and it True. was beautiful and perfect just the way it is. I'm not, I don't think it should change. But but the thing is, as I'm saying, we know more information now. So our decisions can be a little bit different about how we approach things. And I think that there's some people that are so in a but they're so afraid that they might stumble upon something that the position that they've had for years is going to be wrong and it threatens them. Right. Sure. And I think in recovery, we have to be open, but we also have to be guarded of our own recovery. So true. And I wonder if rigidity is on those people's character defect list <laughs> because yes. to be so rigid, to be a perfectionist, to be that rigid for yourself and others speaks to that. There are more things that need to be dealt with. Absolutely. You know what this, I'm so glad that we did this Vox article. We're going to put a link in to the show notes so everybody can take a look at it. And, you know, but before we go on uh, here, Christina, with the show, because we've got much more show ahead, I wanted to address what we've got going on in the recovered life uh, community on Clubhouse, uh, which we call Recovered Life Discussions. Um, Guys, if you are not a part of this, you want to get a part of this right now. And we're going to start doing some replays here in between the Recovered Life Show, which is exciting. It's a little change that we're going to be doing. So every, um, every, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday... Uh, Christina, Dennis, and myself uh, bring you these Recovered Life discussions that we host exclusively on Clubhouse. And we've got four of them a week, and they range in the different topics. And we're going to jump into them in the TGIF Sober thing. We're going to talk about what we talked about this week. But if you're not part of that, you can access that and so much more by joining Recovered Life totally for free. And, And how you do that is we've got this great app that's on your mobile phone. It's a website. It's a community of like-minded people just like you. You can join for free. All you have to do is go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. So Christina, coming back, we have got TGIF Sober. Going to be coming back talking about everything this week in our recovery. So hold tight. We'll be back right after this break. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Segment 2, T-G-I-F, Sober. So Here we good. Are, April Fool's Division, April Fool's, uh, <laughs> April Fool's segment of TGIF. 
So true. But before we start, I want to let everybody know this episode is being brought to you by Recover Life contributors and people like you. Make sure to like, share, follow, and leave us a comment so that we can keep bringing content to you that you enjoy. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can join the network or make a donation, which helps us to keep helping others. It is completely free to join the network. It's info.recoveredlife.us. Yeah, we want you to join the conversation, guys. Uh, you know, thanks so much for mentioning the Recovered Life contributors, Christina. There is a wealth of information there for free with yep. people like you that yep. are out doing the deal. You know, I know you're a codependency coach, recovery coach, interventionist, and you're on Recovered Life all the time, having discussions with people and helping them navigate through things. What I love about the contributors is they all bring these individual things. And we've got a list of them on the info.recoveredlife.us uh, site. And there's a bunch of them right there. And then, of course, in the network, if you join the network uh, for free, you're going to get really just direct access to them, which I totally love. I mean, that's the one thing that I love about Recovered Life is that you can just get right in and ask a question. Absolutely. And I love it when people direct message me on that app because I know that they're doing the deal and it ends isolation for us. You know, COVID really shook a lot of people. There are people who got sober in COVID and are still trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to join groups and find their people. Your people are there. All right. They're not only me, but lots and lots of people that uh, continue the conversations. Well, you know, exactly. And that's kind of what TGIF Sober is about. We kind of go over the week, Christina. Yep. We talk about the week. And, you know, this started actually on our clubhouse discussions where we started to just say, hey, what did we learn in our recovery this week? And we thought this is such a great segment. We're going to actually move this to part of a show because it okay. is really great because like I didn't realize how much I was actually learning and taking away from my own recovery every right. week from these discussions. They are amazing discussions. And this Monday we started off with, you know, the headline uh, that happened at the Academy Awards. And it was such a great place for people to come and share their opinions, you know, and share their thoughts and how it made people feel. You know, for me, uh, I watched the video once because I found it incredibly triggering. And alcoholics do, or people in recovery are triggered. And it was great to be able to just ask the question in a judgment-free zone where we are respectful of each other and listen to the fact that everybody was feeling a little confused by it and not happy and triggered. And that really, really made me feel like I'm not alone. And uh, I was able to you know, hear from different people what it meant to them. And it's definitely to be determined. Uh, I know as a codependent coach, I felt bad for all of them. And uh, <laughs> I absolutely hated the idea that the night with so many people who work really, really hard, this is their Super Bowl, you know, having it be tainted by that entire incident. That's where my heart and mind went. Wow, all the people who won the Oscar, the headlines aren't going to be CODA won Best Picture or anything. They were all about the incident. And it was yeah, awkward. I did. We'll 
yeah, Will Smith did it, it sucked the air out of the room there on that one. Sure um, did. You know, it's interesting. You know, the, the the interesting discussion, recovery discussion, because if people are just listening to this show and they did not hear the Will Smith segment, we've got we cut up all the different segments and we put them on Recovered Life and on all the social channels. But one of the one of the things that was interesting is we were talking about impulse control and and right. my um my old school group yesterday, we had a whole gathering about impulse control and about what it's what it's what's going on with that right and and people in recovery now we're not saying that will smith is in recovery i don't believe no. he is uh anyone in there but it was just a good framework a, a good model to see it's like what happens if you've gone too far look because everybody in recovery has gone too far they've said stuff they don't want to do they have yes they they've they're struggling with impulse control we sometimes think impulse control just haunts people in early recovery or when nope. they're using that's not necessarily true it isn't true and having the ability to uh have uh compassion towards somebody's humanity i mean we can give it to each other and we can give it to ourselves i've got to tell you that if i had a camera of how many millions of people were watching on some of my worst moments i would be horrified i really would be you know it's like yes. everybody has those moments and i think our world uh tends to wait for it and you know the fodder of it and can be really really cruel and so i i tried uh very very much to you know take care of myself and stay in my own lane absolutely you know uh i i think there's so many great things that people in recovery can learn from this. Uh, you know, one is the impulse control. Two is the how to make an amends effectively. <laughs> and three is how not to get yourself into this situation. Right. 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 Is that, you know, one of the things that it was interesting that the group talked about in the discussions is that that we, we talk about that pause button. Mm -hmm. It's like I might feel like I want to go up there and slap you, but it's like pause, pause. <laughs> you know hitting that pause button and you know and i think that that was the big thing that 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 refreshed because i hadn't heard that for a while i gotta be honest with you like when you work with newcomers you you know are people like we do you and i do a lot of transitional yes. work where we're we're dealing with people who are just getting into the sober lifestyle and that is a big thing is, is, that, is. is that pause it's like hey i know you want to say that to your boss but put a pause on that write it down and then let's talk about that because most of the stuff that's on this list that you wrote down, 80 to 90%, you're not going to say, and it's worthless. No, no. Right? And the pause button has saved my tail because I trust, I tell you not, like my brain can go there. And the whole idea that I don't create more wreckage because I've learned how to pause uh, is where I live in, right? It's totally where I live in. And it's- Well, Christina- you should have you should have sent the pause button to me last night yeah because okay yeah i i'm not always great with the pause button <laughs> well you got to have some margins you've got to when we're up against because we've pushed way too hard it's so easy to slip off it's so easy to slip off into behavior that will not help you in the future um i remember working with somebody and we were discussing her anger and i said you know i I understand the anger, but I also hate how much it costs you to have the anger. Like it really is a self-care issue and yes. uh, not getting yourself into those situations. Well, talking about not getting yourself into situations, we've got this great room on Tuesday where we talk about yes. the brain neuro patterns. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what happened on that room. I was doing some traveling this week, so I couldn't uh. tell the room. 
It was phenomenal. We did discuss several emotions that are painful, but I think the takeaway for me was that hope is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. And we referenced Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart to discuss these feelings. You know, I think that before I heard that, I really did think it was, you know, people were hopeful or they were hopeless. And the truth is, and I loved how this was written in her book, that hope is actually a cognitive process. And I never had heard that. It's about the thinking. And it's something that we can learn. We usually learn hopelessness from our caregivers as children. We learn the habit of hopelessness from patterns that we've observed. I love the idea of what she called hope habits. And there are three parts of cultivating hope and three um, areas in which you can look and see. So it's a cognitive process, but where hope begins with is one, setting realistic goals. Mm, addicts don't like to set realistic goals. We grandeur, we like to think very, very big, but setting realistic goals, which is what I think a, a coach, a therapist or a sponsor uh, can help you with. Two, be willing to fail, have a path, but not just one path to get to your goal. Have three, four, five, six different paths and have the fortitude that that just is not the way it worked. Not that my goal is wrong. You know, I have a path and I'm going to get to it. And then the third one, of course, is believing we can get to it. And all three of those parts, like I am going to take that away from me, away with me for the rest of my life where I feel like oh, it's never going to work. You know, hopelessness sneaks its way in. I can start thinking about, no, I need three different things. I need a realistic goal. I need a path to get to it. And I need to work on my self-esteem right now, call somebody, whatever, and take and see that I am the person who can get it done. Did you think hope was a feeling? You know, it's interesting because I didn't really even think about it. Um, right. You know, I, I I didn't really go that far with it, but I did catch a part of that room. And I think that the thing that, um, you know, by listening to the replay of it is the interesting thing is I started to honestly kind of think about my own hope. It's like, am yes. I kind of a glass, you know, somebody told me this weekend, they, they said, you know, Damon, you're so optimistic. You are. I believe that like anything can happen. But you know, it's funny because I, I feel like sometimes I'm jaded. I come across kind of jaded. And yeah. it's but I'm not actually. I'm really an opt at heart. I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, right? Right. Like I believe that anything can happen. We're gonna create it. Let's go do it, right? Like so it's it's interesting, you know. I hadn't really dived into hope that deep, but I I see it. I, I see what she's saying about that. And by mm -hmm. by listening to people's experiences, I I totally, you know, I, I found a better way to be that I could use hope in my life more constructively. Right, right. And isn't getting sober all about hope? You know, we have a goal to stay sober. We find people who teach us the path right? We work on ourselves to know that we can because we have examples of people who have done it before us. Mm. I mean, yeah. being sober is being hopeful. And so if you've felt hopelessness, I want you to think about the three Ps. You know, the first one is that this is permanent. How often does that happen? That happens all the time. The second one is that it's personal. It's about me. And the third one is that it's pervasive. I think that because one mistake has been made or one area of my life isn't working well, I think my entire life doesn't work well. And so if you find yourself being hopeless, mm. it's super important that you figure out the triangle of hope. 
you know, the three things. What is my actual goal? How can I get there? And how can I believe in it myself that I'm the one who can do it? Well, this is so so this is this is one of the things that I think recovery gives us is when you're talking about this thing about believing that you can do it, right? Like I, you know, and I I do believe that um you have to develop what I'm just gonna call fortitude. Yes, right? they use that word. Is that no matter what, no matter what, you know, and I and I told somebody this yesterday. I said, you know, it's all gonna work out because like everybody goes through things where there's about, you know, what where where I look at hope is this is like, well, things aren't going the way that I planned. And, and I and I love what you said about that the last thing that you just said about if one thing's not going well, it's all not going well. Now, this is, I'm gonna tell you, this is pervasive with people in recovery, this black and white thinking. Yes. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm gonna say that I've excuse me, I'm gonna I've suffered from that a lot as well. Is that this like, well, this one area is not going well. So everything else is not going well. And I have people laugh at me. Like I, I, you know, I've been telling everybody, like I woke up a little late today. Yes. I text you. I was like, oh my God, this isn't going to work. We're not going to, you know, I already started. And I was like, I was five minutes late. It's not like the end of the world. Not at all. Right? Not yeah. at all. And, and the pervasiveness is a lie. And I think that's what I love about knowing what hopelessness is all about. Being hopelessness, it's interesting with despair and hopelessness. Now with despair, they always use the word researchers, social scientists always use the word um, hopelessness with despair. Always mm -hmm. your hopelessness, yes. you know, or hopeless and despair. Now they don't always use despair with hopeless. And so if you're feeling hopeless, look at the three P's and decide which one of those is really, you know, the base of this. How yes. can I change that? If you think it's happening to your whole world and you need a, a new perspective, call somebody. They will often, and like I've been laughed at too for feeling like everything was wrong, you know, that don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, I had that feeling. And so people getting a perspective outside of yourself can really, really help. And you can love that stop room. it. You can stop it. I mean, I think some of the most engaging, uh, sobriety life-changing for me, like, wow, I'm going to look at this different. I'm going to practice this have come out of that Tuesday neuroscience great room. room. Because I think that the neuroscience, you know, we were just talking about this for the last segment about not being closed down totally, totally uh, to, to different situations. The neuroscience room is good because it gives more of a psychological meets motivational, practical thing about what I can do in the here and now to further my sobriety, because I believe, and you know, we'll talk about my Thursday room in a little bit. I believe that most of this is consciousness. It's being able to tap into a consciousness where you can live your best recovered life. It's not, it's not about, you know, and that, that has to do a lot of the times with letting go of things. It doesn't so have true. to do with obtaining anything. So true. And once we understand that there's biology involved, we can make it less personal. We can quit feeling like we're defective humans because there's so many of, I mean, everyone in the world is feeling this way in some way. And everyone has these thoughts of hopelessness or once hopeful, you know, activities. You can cultivate them. You can, you know, you're the mm. thinker of your thoughts, not your thoughts. And so Absolutely. that self, that mindfulness and that self-awareness can be a, a bridge to get you your best recovered life. 
Now, Wednesday, I jumped onto a, a discussion that you were having about uh, setting healthy boundaries, which you do every Wednesday, Yes, uh, which is probably one of our most popular discussions that we have. Uh, wh wh what was the big discovery you had with that room? Well, we talked about experimenting, you know, in codependency, there's several seasons in recovery, there are seasons, there's a time in which you need to be introspective, you need to look at your past, you need to figure out, you know, your belief systems, you take a lot of time, maybe sitting on your hands, a good codependent, uh, you know, inaction is actually the right action. However, there's also a time where we need to experiment. We need to figure out who we are. And so in that room, we challenged people to have an experiment that day because there is a season where you need to go out there. Um, yes, we look at ourselves. Yes, we spend time being quiet. But we also need to figure out who we are. And I loved the discussion because there is freedom in codependency. A lot of people think boundaries mean that, you know, there's a line and you don't cross it. Now, boundaries are the rules in which a relationship engages, right? And so often, you know, the Tuesday and Wednesday room discuss it uh, as well about, uh, we're coming up on it this next Tuesday about boundaries. Boundaries are like, it's an okay, it's not okay list. Mm. And so what is okay is helpful. And we often just focus on what's not okay, but really we need to be looking at what's okay. And many of us have shut down lives where we don't even know what our favorite color is. We don't even know what kind of, you know, things That's we so like. That's so true. That is so, oh my gosh. You know, it's like uh, sober and dead. Yes. Right? Like sober and dead. It's just like no more fight left. I call this stuck in the church basement thinking, like yes. just stuck. Yes. And, you know, the most interesting thing about us is not that we quit drinking. You know, we cannot spend our lives thinking about and talking about the thing that we haven't done for 20 years or 30 years or five years. Yes. We need to go out and live life. And so that was what Wednesday's Room was all about, about experimenting, trying new things, figuring out who you are and realizing that that's the next step after you've done the introspection. Yeah, I love that because, you know, I think it is about trying new things and not being so locked into stuff. I mean, I'm going to tell you, honestly, I suffer from that. Like, I think, mm -hmm. well, this is the way, this is the only way, but it's not, you know, and I think, um, you know, somebody told me a long time ago in recovery, probably the first couple of weeks is to say, you know, your plan, it, it has this many options and, and God's plan has this many options. I right. Many options. Which, which, which one would you pick? Right. Do you yes. want something that's got a lot of options? And I, you know, and I have used that. I, it's interesting. I'll fight it. Like I'm one of these people. I'll fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it. And then I'll realize it's like, why am I fighting this? I know that it's going to be okay. I just have to do the work what's in front of me, but this just comes into the hope and it comes into faith. Yes. You know, and uh, we were talking about this. It's weird. We had a different metaphysical conversation about the same thing on Thursday. Yes. In my unstuck room. And we said, is awareness the key to is is the key to change? Is awareness the key to change? And I have to tell you, that was one of the most powerful unstuck rooms that I have done. Wow. Wow. I wasn't able to make it. So I'm really glad really that great. you're sharing it was about really it. Great. Because people were talking about, you know. We talked about what we talked about awareness mm -hmm. is, is it really the key to change? Because I think people think that willingness is the key to change. 
like so so many people look i think every coach or everybody in recovery is trying to find what is that magic thing that has to happen with people for them to have the awareness to be able to get sober or right. to make huge changes in their life, right? I think every high performance person is trying to figure out, okay, what's that magic combination, right? And mm -hmm. we're talking a lot of people just think it is it is a willingness, but I know a lot of people who are willing to do things, right? They have the willingness, but they don't have the consciousness. They exactly. don't have the awareness, right? And I think that most of recovery is building an awareness of who you are and what you're not. And, you know, we talked a lot about the whole, you know, that recovery is not, uh, it, it's not a self-improvement uh, journey. It's really a, a self-abandonment journey, right? We're trying to let go of things. Right. Uh, that are that 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 we that we believe that no longer work for us. Outdated and belief systems. Abs absolutely. And you know what was interesting about that is we had some people on stage that were sharing their awareness and about how their awareness has changed over the years. I'll tell you the way I liken that is if you go, everybody's gone to a mall and you figure out where you want to go. Well, you can't get there until you find that you are here button. You know, you really can't. So awareness is finding out where you are. Who are you? This is where I'm at before you can get to go anywhere. And so I might be really willing to go to Nordstrom's, but if I don't know where I am in that mall, I can't find the way. And I love that vision because it really, really helps my clients to figure out, oh, this is where I am. Our first steps when I'm working with somebody is self-awareness. I absolutely yeah. agree with you. Well, and you know, we were talking about how the how the willingness, how the willingness morphs into acceptance. Yes. And then through that acceptance, we then create a bigger awareness of who we are and where we fit in and what's going on, right? Like and but you have to have those that you have to have that acceptance as well because you could be willing, you know, there's so many people that come in and say, "Hey, you know what? I have uh, an alcohol and drug problem." or have an eating disorder of something, right? And they they see it, they see the car crash, right? Yes. Because I think that's the I think that's a big question and I know you as an interventionist, you see this a lot, you know, Christina is that it it's people are like saying, "Well, how can they not see what's going on?" It's like, "No, it's like we see the car crash." Right. We we see that it's messy. We we see that there's like a crime scene there. Like we, we get that. It's just that the, the ability to be honest with ourselves, right. With people in addiction is to be able to say, this is related to my abuse of this, right? Like right. we can't make that connection. We're talking about this committee that comes in. That's really fighting with us 24 seven to tell us that the reality is not the reality, right? right. It gaslights us yes. uh, this whole time. So how do you move through these stages? And it's not just, you know, for, uh, and you know, we go through this day and day out. We're, we're talking about this with the show. How do we move our consciousness to a place where it's a, a higher level of consciousness? It's not just about drinking, not drinking. It's no. not really about that at all. It's, no. it's about, it's about how do we raise our consciousness higher and higher and higher to be able to experience new things. Oh, I love it. I love that. That's, that was the topic. These are the kind of discussions that happen in recovered life discussions. We really, really speak about the things that are beyond just not doing something. Absolutely. You know, guys, this has been a really great show, Christina, uh, April fools, no fooling, yep, great no time. Fooling. Great, great time. So go play a practical joke on somebody. Uh, make sure <laughs> it's funny. 
I would yeah. say make sure it's funny and not, not uh, harmful. Not going to scare them. Not har harmful. So episode 93, Friday, April 1st, in the can. We're going to come back Monday. We've got a great show Monday. We've already planned it out. And uh, we hope to see everybody on Recovered Life. You know, it's such a great community, guys. So if you're not part of it, uh, please join. You can get there by going to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. Christina, have a great weekend. Episode 93 in the can. You Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.